Tommy started as a driver, I started as a server. Back when I started, we were pouring PBR, Stella, Mac yeah. and Jack's Manny's lineup. In frosted mugs. In frosted oh, mugs. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh it was man, oh man. A little embarrassing looking back. When Tommy took over the beverage program, everything changed. This week on Washington Beer Talk, we thought we would do something a little different. Instead of talking to a brewery or brewer, we decided to chat with Zeke's Pizza, another business that has a strong tie to the craft beer industry. Zeke's Pizza went through a craft beer renaissance, I guess you could say. And today I'm talking to the guys who made that happen. Tommy Brooks and Josh Snyder. Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. Josh, you go first. Do I have to go first? All right. My name's Josh. Do I have to give my last name? If you don't want to, you don't have to. Uh, Snyder. Wow, um, what a basic last name. I know, so basic. I get why you were embarrassed about that. Yeah, as basic as the Uggs I'm wearing. I work at Zeke's, and my title officially is Brand Ambassador Marketing Manager, but I've recently taken over front of house operations. Would you say that's right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. so. Yeah. It's uh, it's all an evolution, you know. Yeah. And uh, Tommy Brooks, my official title is Director of R&D and Business Development. I mainly do beverage stuff. So I started as a server in 2005. You started as a driver in what? 2003. Yeah. Tommy actually. <laughs> was all, How long were you a driver? A uh, long time, like five years, actually. Really? Yeah, different stores, yeah, yeah, yeah. call center as well. You know, as right, well, I remember you transferred to the call center. Didn't you have a nickname? Uh, Tommy Crash. Tommy yeah. Crash. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I, uh, I got into a pretty bad car accident as a, as a delivery driver, like <laughs> while delivering pizza. Yeah, and so I, I earned the nickname. But I, could, it, I couldn't drive anymore. Cause right, I, so that's yeah, when you transferred to the call center, right? Yes, So right. full-time. Because I was full doing time. call center and dri- driving both, both part-time okay, gotcha. to make full-time combined, right, but right. then I didn't have a car, so right. full-time so, call center supervisor, because we have a central call center. If you call in to order a pizza, you're routed to the central um, okay. call center, which is our at our HQ. Is that normal for pizza places? No, not at all. Right. <laughs> no, it's really advantageous, too, because people who work at Domino's have to take a yeah. delivery while they're trying to make a pizza, a delivery order on the phone. Yeah. So you're trying to handle the phone, you're trying to make a pie. One thing that Zeke's got right back in the day was they were like, we're going to have a call center. All of the deliveries are going to be routed through there. So the store is, you never have to talk to a customer on the phone in store. And it's also kind of like a war room, like logistics center. So you can just route different orders to different stores because we're multi-units. And yeah. like for our catering, it's a big deal to be able to do that. It's a pretty unique setup, but it's also an investment. I'm really glad we did it back in the day. Yeah. It's, I'm imagining just like a rinky-dink little office in the middle of, you know, who knows where, in Kirkland or whatever. <laughs> just like, yeah. Actually, it's it's in our age. It's, it's like our in office, our office. Which is right above the Belltown store. Okay. Yeah. Is that the first place? That was number three, I believe. Dravis was number one, the other side of Queen Anne. By so SPU. this side of Queen Anne. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And they, uh, Tom and Doug, our founders, opened that in 93. And they delivered their first deliveries on skateboard. <laughs> Until Doug nearly ended his bit, bit life it, yeah. bom- bombing down a hill. After we, actually did, yeah, we didn't have ovens uh, when we opened. It was just take and bake. Actually, on our 
paychecks, it still says Zeke's Take and Bake. And then they, they eventually got a slice oven. Yeah, and they realized yeah. people like their pizza cooked. Yeah. Shocker. <laughs> Novel concept. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were, they were like a couple of dudes who worked for a consulting firm. And they hated it. They hated it. And they, they would, on the weekend, they'd go powder skiing and windsurfing and skateboarding and all that stuff and talk about how they wish they didn't have to clock out to enjoy their life. Yeah. Right? So, novel concept again. So they raised their middle fingers to Anderson Consulting and said, we're going to start a pizza place, which was a big risk, you know. They, I think they borrowed 10 grand from Tom's, Tom's dad. dad. Yep. And uh, opened that little shop over there, and we're about to open our 17th location. Wow. Next, next week, actually. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Woodenville. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Two scrappy uh, dudes decided they wanted to enjoy their work. And that kind of that sentiment runs through everything we do. We believe you shouldn't have to hate your life to make a paycheck, and you should get something more out of your job than just a paycheck. And a lot of, you know, especially in this age a lot of the tech companies talk that talk right yeah. but it's a lot of bullshit mostly yeah. but we actually do our damnedest to live that every day and in every meeting we have we talk about are we living our values like and it's serious because we all want to hang on to that like i enjoy my job uh, so you started off a while ago as the driver and in a call center and then did you say what you did i started as a server when i moved to seattle in 03 i Started working at EMP, now Mopop. Not happy with that change, by the way. Um, but anyway, I it wasn't a bad job. I got paid to play guitar most of the time, but most of my job was telling people where the bathroom was. And then one day, I, I lived on Capitol Hill, so I would catch the 8 right outside of Zeke's, and I missed my bus, and I was I had a horrible day at work. I missed my bus. I was pissed off. So I decided to go in and have a beer, just calm my nerves, right? And I'd waited tables before at a couple other places in my past, and the vibe in Zeke's was awesome. I was like, you know what, I should go back to serving, because I always loved it. Yeah. I love people, I love food, I love beer. And the bartender, Tanya, I remember I, oh, yeah. I, I said, any chance you guys are hiring? And she gave me an application. I filled it out two months later. Uh, I think it was two months later. My first day was the first day of Bumber Shoot, which is like <laughs> one of the busiest days at that location. Probably no, very little training, if at all. Very little training. Yeah. It was the Wild West of Zeke's for sure. But yeah, I've uh, been there ever since. I've been a server, hourly manager, general manager, and now I'm kind of involved in front of house operations for the company. I'm also in marketing, social media. Yeah. Got my hands in a lot of buckets, but- yeah. um, Brand ambassador. Brand right? ambassador. Yeah. But Tommy and I have always been tight since way back yep. in the day. Yep. Uh, you know, we used to after work, go to shoot pool together, drink beers together. And I remember when you first took over the beverage program, uh, just being, all of a sudden proud of what I was pouring because it was actually good. Changed the wine program, changed the beer program, glassware all of a sudden was real beer glassware. Yeah. Like it was just all kind those of a details. Sea the detail, yeah. Yeah. I mean That was eight years ago. You yeah. kind of you just from what I understand, now correct me if I'm wrong, but the history I understand with Tommy taking over the beer program was that he 
he basically baked the program on his own and then brought it to Tom and Doug and said, we're doing beer wrong. This is what we should be doing. Let me do it. And they were like, there was some push and pull, right? Oh, for years. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they still wanted frosty glassware and PBR, right? Was, it was a lot of education. Yeah. But Zeke's has always been like very entrepreneurial, and everybody wears a lot of hats, obviously. And so, you know, to Tom and Doug's credit, they, they gave me the opportunity to try to pitch this. And I, it was for three, four years, a lot of back and forth, just getting those frosted mugs out. Probably took two years, yeah. you know? Uh, and it took actually going down and being like, Asus beer out of a nonic glass, room temp, and then do your frosted mug, you know, and then they, they could actually literally taste the difference. And then, yeah. and then what was cool about it, Doug actually started getting really geeky about, Doug's one of our founders, he got really geeky about the science behind the beer, perfect pours, you know, perfect one inch head every time, et cetera, et cetera. And now that's baked into our culture. Totally. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely was not an overnight kind of thing. Um, some of it was, but... Well, there was a lot of fear about taking things like Manny's and Mac and Jack's off the tap. Um, right, so we, they we were took worried. off our four best-selling beers yeah. overnight. That was overnight. It was Manny's, Mac and Jack's, Stella, and Bud Light. And I was like, we should take all of them off and replace them with local craft beer. Actually, one of them was Ninkasi, Total Domination. which And that was one of the first kind of juicy, hop-forward, low-bitterness IPAs on the market back in the day. and. Oh, yeah. That, I just remember overnight, that was, it, it was like 70% of our sales. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is happening. And then Boneyard RPM, Rubens was a huge part of that. Um, and so we just start, started experimenting with good, you know, local craft beer and stuff that was new and fresh. And um, immediately the sales increased, the staff got energized, and it, it seems to have slowly become part of our, our brand Totally, and and the evidence, the proof was in the pudding, basically. Tommy said, this is not going to tank our sales. Everybody was worried because we did have people coming in and saying, uh, let me get a Mac and Jacks, and we didn't have it anymore. And there were people that were pissed, but we trained our staff to say, Mac and Jacks is great, sure, try this Rubens, right? And once people tried it, they were like, oh, okay, you know? So when we educated our staff to, to not like give up on educating the customer and we, you know, coach them to say, hey, try this, it wasn't a problem, yeah. you know? And everybody was worried that beer sales would just tank and it just didn't happen. So Yeah, so we became proactive as opposed to reactive to, uh, you know, traditional sales trends and market trends and stuff like that and I mean you didn't have to be you had to live under a rock in 2012 or so to not see what was happening with craft beer at that point you know I mean oh, yeah. and so it just made perfect sense for, our, for you know pizza and beer Zeke's culture and all that to go all in on that and plant our flag and craft and locals as much as possible yeah well I mean that, that's always the way we treated our food exactly. we just didn't treat our beverage program that way so what we thought was sort of ingrained in us with the Stella and all that stuff. We basically it let the wasn't distributor. Right. Yeah, yeah. We basically let the distributor tell us, you know, what we should pour, and um, there wasn't much internal creative development going on there on the beverage side of things. And it was just kind of, what is the bar down the street doing? We should probably do the same thing. 
Yeah, exactly. I remember going to Salty's, you know, that mm-hmm. like seafood place out in Alki or wherever. Beautiful view. And uh, yeah, great view and pretty good food. Yeah. Horrible beer. Yeah. They have the classic Manny's Mac and Jack's right. Stella Bud Light lineup, you know, Republic, whatever that distributor like is. Airport bar. Yeah, airport uh, bar beers. Yeah. And it, you know what? I'd be damned if they didn't serve it in a fucking frosted glass too. Anyway, they do, yeah. but uh, they, um, but yeah, I remember thinking like, how is this? How does this place not figure out that they got to scrap the Manny's and Mac and Jacks train? Because I remember moving here. I so I moved here in 2013, and Manny's Mac and Jacks was the move. It was everywhere, yep. and and I like I still like Mac and Jacks. I mean, I well, I know I've always hated the beer, but I like the brewery. You know, I like the idea of it. I like yeah. the idea that it's sort of a Seattle staple and and whatever, but. But yeah, like why? Tons of respect too, right? Yeah, those, yeah. those guys tra- were trailblazers. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They created the opportunity for everything we're talking about. Yeah, but I, I wonder how that beer kind of fell from grace. You know, that's kind of like because in my mind, it's like it. it, it it's, I don't like it. Never really liked it, and now it's just not anywhere anymore. And I wonder if the brewery is like, you know, kicking her shit into gear, figuring it out, or, or just going the way of Green Flash. You know, all those right, guys. Right. Right. Um, but like, yeah, whatever. I know Georgetown They're has kicking stepped ass. their game up. Oh, they pivoted to Bodhisattva. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're all way happier about that. I, I, superior I, beer to the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I heard Bodhi was um, one of, if not the top-selling skew in grocery last year in Washington oh, yeah? State. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise I could, me at I, all. I could be wrong, but and that includes macro beer. So, you know, yellow piss beer. Whoa. That would surprise me. Having said that, there's like 24 different SKUs for Bud Light, whether it's a 24-pack, 12-pack, 6-pack, et cetera, et cetera. Right, so right, right. all those are different SKUs. Yeah. Bodhi's just one 6-pack SKU, right? Yeah. But still, impressive. Totally. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I wanted to continue talking about the how you kind of baked, as you said, baked the, the beverage program a little bit. But I wanted to go back to something that we hit on before. I, 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 then I went on a tangent and kind of derailed us from that. You were talking about being really satisfied with your job and actually pretty being pretty happy with it. So what I'd like to know from both you guys is what is the trick to actually making a job like Zeke's or really any job as fulfilling as you say it is and not, and not bullshitting like the tech companies are? And if you were to package up your beer program and try to sell the idea of selling a good beer program to every other bar or restaurant around here, you know, how do we get more craft beer on taps? Like, what, is, what would it take to sort of make that into a, I don't know, a pamphlet you could sell right. for $100 and say, turn around your beer sales. A template. This is how we do it. Yeah, what's the template? Let's start with the satisfying job stuff. I think a big part of it is liking who you work for. I mean, there's nothing worse than coming to your job and thinking your boss is a jackass. Um, this is something I really took to heart as a general manager. Uh, I considered it my... Re- I had the daily lives of 35 people in my hands. Whether they hated coming to work or not was part, partly my responsibility, and I took that seriously. And because I took that seriously, I saw the results in people... They were happy to show up to work. I had less people calling out sick. I had, you know what I mean? Like, we all have to have a job, and ultimately having a job can suck more often than it can be awesome, right? But part of why Tom and Doug started the business is because they didn't want to hate their lives while they were working, because we work, in the, especially in this country, we work all the fucking time. We're always at work, right? So the more we can all collectively agree, let's not make this suck, and let's collectively agree to have some fun, awesome. 
And I work for a company that that's baked into the DNA and the guys who founded it, it's the reason they founded it. So I have the ability as a manager or whatever to be part of making sure we all have some fun doing this. Not to mention the fact that I work for a company that's all about pride and craft, you know? So we're actually like doing something we can be passionate about, feeding people, getting people drunk is fucking fun. <laughs> if you do it the right way and you do it with care and pride, like, I mean, not, not fireball shot drunk, right? Right. Not fireball shot drunk. Maybe a little buzz after you've had your uh, pizza, but obviously responsible drinking is good. <laughs> but, but craft, craft boiler maker drunk. Yeah. Craft boiler maker drunk. Totally. It's our but, best-selling cocktail pairing craft beer and local craft spirits ah yeah. so uh, clever uh, cocktail and air quotes yeah, yeah just to to piggyback on what you just said we we conquered the beer program and then we introduced craft spirits which we make the best margarita in seattle our well of spirits is top shelf at any other bar and now we've just conquered our soda we we pour craft soda by jones now no we, coke. We, we kicked out coke yeah oh yeah which is really fucking cool yeah mm. yeah so that's got to be we, a big choice we kind of closed yeah. the circle of craft so nothing we serve in our restaurants is anything but craft mostly local right on. this is about pride man yeah you know I, I would say there's definitely something to be said about doing something like you know supporting other local businesses yep. but then as your work just yeah like you said getting people drunk and getting people fed <laughs> yeah it's something that you know, somebody has to do it, you know? And right. It, it well, makes it fulfilling and just innately. It's like getting paid to throw a party every day. Yeah. Which yeah. is badass, right? Like, what would you rather be doing, you yeah. know? And I, you know, I went to school at UW. I got a chid degree, comparative intellectual history, and basically I was going to teach. And I always wanted to do something where the result of my labor was somebody's day is better or somebody's life is better. Yeah. And I thought education was the only way to go. And then I realized, dude, I'm feeding people. I'm, you know, like this, that's super elemental to being a human being is breaking bread with people, feeding people. So I, I was like, I'm going to stick around. Zeke's like, I'm, I have the opportunity to do this on a daily basis. So anyway, yeah. not to get too, uh, frou-frou about it yeah. but well like josh said he i mean tom and doug started the company to like live a life certain type of lifestyle and and so i think we live that on a day-to-day -day basis for our jobs and I, mean, I love what i do i'd be doing what i'm doing for work um for a hobby anyway right so it's kind of the dream scenario um so it's just i honestly most of the time it doesn't feel like work at least the beverage side of things. There's, yeah. I do some other stuff for the company that's definitely a little bit more boring, but um, the beverage side of things is, um, it's just fun, you know? I mean, getting connect, getting to connect with people and uh, local businesses and just establish those relationships is a big part of um, what we do and it's really rewarding. Yeah, as far as like the hobby component of what you, what you actually do. So for your beverage stuff, your, the hobby component is, Drinking beers and going to breweries and hanging out with brewers or what? Yeah, basically. I mean, so before I got into this role at Zeke's, I was kind of a beer traveler. I was a Wobble member. You know Wobble, yeah. Um, and so, you know, just go to every single beer fest that I could locally in the Pacific Northwest and just seek seek out new beers and meet brewers and taste the beers, et cetera, et cetera. And 
um, now I get paid to do that. Yeah. Well, that checks out. That's the good stuff. I can see why that'd be sort of the dream gig. Yeah. What? How did you start your sort of beer education journey? Being a dumb kid, you know, 19 in the Bay Area. I grew up in the Bay Area and just, you know, trying Sierra Nevada, Pale Ale, uh, Mendocino, I think it's Whitetail IPA, uh, you know, those old school Bay Area craft breweries. And, you know, just trying those after drinking, you know, however many Bud Lights or Heinekens or whatever, it was easy to get into, right? Yeah. It's like a very familiar story for a lot of people. Yep. Um, and I just kind of... Nevada even, especially. Totally, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of took that and ran with it up to the Pacific Northwest. I moved up here um, about 18 years ago and just kind of continued that, seeking out um, local beers up here and and uh, just Next thing you knew. continues to evolve, you know? Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, I hate to throw a wrench in the works here, but you're glass is empty. I am. It is indeed. This is one of our our principles at Zeke's is empty beers are bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, while he's doing that, do you agree with what he was sort of saying? Like, to expand on the, um, you know, what makes it kind of worthwhile, you know, he's talking about feeding people and doing something that's you know your thing. Obviously, for you, it's 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 almost just translating your passion, your hobby into into work in one way or another. And yep. you know, I, I'd say you mentioned already the other roles of your job that aren't necessarily as fun, and sure. it's really hard to get a one to one. You know, this is work and do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life, kind of thing. And yeah, well, so <clears throat> just to piggyback on what Josh was saying on the food front, I think Zeke's is in a pretty unique position to introduce a lot of new breweries, smaller breweries to kind of more of a mainstream audience. You know, we're not Browers, we're not Chucks, where people are literally going there to seek out new breweries and beers and they rotate by the keg. We carry a lot of the same beers that those guys do, or breweries. Our customers are probably getting introduced to those breweries for the first time at Zeke's, which is really fun. It's really rewarding because we're helping guys like Rubens back, you know, eight years ago before anybody knew who Rubens was. Dirty Couch, you know, similar situation. There's a lot of examples of that. And it's great for Zeke's too, because then we have that beer credibility as well. And it's, again, it goes back to those relationships at the end of the day. Those relationships lead to a lot of collaboration as well. So we've done a ton of collaboration with uh, local breweries. Rubens actually brews our house IPA for us. It's exclusive to Zeke's and it's called Hop Tropic. It's delicious. It's won a ton of awards and all that. But that was based on that going way back to the Finney Neighborhood Association Beer Festival eight years ago. And, you know, that beer was in the works with Adam and I recipe-wise for a year or so um, after he did go commercial down the street here. That's all like, you know, to use kind of a uh, corporate term, organic stuff. That couldn't have happened without just a lot of relationship building and... Are you still out there trying to form like new relationships? Like you, you talked about how you kind of have some mainstay on your taps. Are you ever rotating people in? Do you ever, do, you know, ever ever switch it up? Are there some people here yeah, testing yeah. out? You know. Yeah. So we take pride in kind of pouring the first beer of you know a new brewery out there. Um, but more systematically, we rotate our, our menus quarterly, seasonally, and we rotate every tap except for a Hop Tropic. And so we rotate every tap every three months. So if I were a brewery and I wanted to get in on Zeke's, what would I have to do? Just come talk to you? Uh, yeah, well, usually I'm going to talk to them, honestly. Yeah. That's where the beer traveling comes in because I still do that. If the, if the beer is good, you know, then we, we have the ability to plan way out in advance and kind of sign up for a, a whole batch of beer, you know, like a 15-barrel batch or something, so 30-ish kegs, half barrels. And that's kind of pretty pretty much a sweet zone for a menu run for us for 
uh, most styles of beer. So we can basically dedicate three months to a particular collaboration beer and have it be perfect for our menu run and then rotate something else in. What are you uh, on the lookout for when you're trying to find, I mean, you know, you're talking about traveling, so you probably just go to every brewery and, you know, dip your toes into everything. Sure. But is there yeah. something in particular that when you see it, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, let's see if we can get this on the menu. Yeah, well, it's always quality over everything else. Um, local second. And then I kind of think about style after that and how it's going to fit in with our menu. So... IPAs are obviously the most popular style. We'll, we'll try to have as many uh, craft lagers on as we do hoppy beers, though. If there's a good lager brewer, that definitely piques my interest because um, lagers are just a perfect food pairing beer, and they're blowing up in popularity. You know, I, I personally hope that lagers are the new IPA, um, and we're, we've been seeing that for four years, honestly, in terms of the growth of lagers in sales for us. Um, for example, we're, we're uh, doing a collab um, New Zealand Pilsner with Chuckanut Brewing out of Bellingham for our spring menus coming up here. And super excited about that because there's nobody who brews better lagers than, uh, than Will Kemper. So that's a good example of, uh, and that's just, again, because I've known Mari and those guys for a long time. And, you know, they actually approached us about the collab opportunity and it was a no-brainer, obviously. Uh, let me hop in on the yeah, lager yeah. train here. So I got us all three a Pilsner. Yeah. It's their Czech style. Um, I fell in love with Czech Pilsners when I was studying abroad in Prague. And when I came back, it was 2009. So nobody was really doing Pilsners in the, in the microbrew community, right? It was very rare. Um, so now that Pilsners are finally in in vogue and well i mean production is they're capable of producing them um super stoked because there's nothing on a hot summer day like a crisp czech style pilsner our two best-selling beers are yeah yeah hop tropic rubens hop tropic and whatever pilsner we're pouring and it's not seasonal it's every single menu run it's pilsner and hop tropic uh, yeah, I got to say, I, I agree with you guys on that. I'm really glad that lagers are making a comeback because, you know, for a while, everyone was everyone stopped drinking them because they were fleeing from lagers. And now we're coming back. Craft lagers are finally getting cool again. And so we're doing it. There's a brewery that opened up in Woodenville recently called Bosk. They're great. Yeah, they're really, really good. And I hope that because they opened up with the with the plan to brew lots of lagers. You yep. know, they huge fermenters. They're really ready to knock Which, them out lagers. Good but, on them to yeah. open with that, that model because yeah. lagers are tough. Yeah, you know, uh, not only that, but also like a um, a production scale rather than like a exactly. tap room scale because yeah. they because their tap rooms out there and they're not going to be pulling in tons of people. They have a beautiful tap room, they but do, it's yeah. yeah, it's like way out there, and uh, and they're open with a scale where they're going to try to distribute. And I really really hope that it just takes because I want a brewery out there like Chuckanut that just is committed to brewing loggers and putting them out there right. in the store. And so we're opening, we're opening Woodenville next week, and they're going to be pouring the common denominator Pilsner from Bosk. Yeah, on right the opening on. menu. Yeah, yeah, that's Sweet. our next location is Woodenville. We're they actually wanted to pour two of their beers, but uh, one was not. They got delayed in their opening, of course, because that's yeah. that's what happens when you open a restaurant. But they, the beer that they, the second Bosk beer that they wanted to pour, was not going to be available by the time they actually opened. Ah, so. rats! But yeah, we love Bosk. Real quick, uh, Seattle is a small town. Note. When I was in there grabbing beers, I ran into one of my old bartenders from when I ran Queen Anne, Scott, the teacher. 
Scott Norton? Yeah. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, he's in there reading a book and drinking a beer. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah, make it pop out here. Say something for the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bad idea, actually. I don't want to disturb his peace, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, he sounds like he's got important reading to do, being a teacher and all. He is a teacher, yeah. I mean, He's on break. One of my... my, (laughs) Yeah, what month is it? One of my best all-time bartenders. Oh, yeah. This guy. Yeah. Like... Yeah. He's a beer geek. He 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 beer travels, goes to the festivals and all yep. that. Yeah, we. Uh, that's kind of one of when you're hiring front of house people. That's one of our litmus tests. Like, I had a my right hand gal when I was running Queen Anne. Uh, this gal named Heather McQuarrie is like the biggest beer nerd I've ever met. Probably. I yeah, remember when wobble she, member. Yep. She got her. She got the uh, the wobble. Uh, reward or whatever she got all the the stamps this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, she was stoked when she got. That. I think it's fifty two breweries. Yeah, wow. yeah, you have to visit fifty two breweries in a year to get your yep. reward. And dedication. That, that's what she and her husband do on the weekends. They just go to another brewery. Yeah, that's funny because for me, I'm like, oh shoot, that's that's one podcast episode a week. Look, who yeah, does right. that? <laughs> Speaking of lifestyle, yeah. <laughs> I recently did the Ballard Passports. You know how they have that stamp card? You oh, yeah. You hit yeah, like 11 yeah. breweries or something like that, and you get you go to Hattie, Hattie's Hat and you collect your prize. And uh, I had started that one day, you know, went to like six breweries in a day, and then left my passport at home and came out the next week and was like, well, fuck, I had six on the first passport, but now I don't have it with me. So I just grabbed a new one and hit all 11 in one day oh, and man. went to turn it in. And there was only a couple I didn't get stamped at. And then you get a keychain and a pine class, which right, right. no one needs another pine class, so I gave that away, but it was an achievement. Wobble's yeah. all on the app now. There's there's no physical passport anymore. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. smart. Yep. Yeah, um, what's the prize for getting that? I think it rotates every year. I'm not quite sure what it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. I signed up for Maybe. it at the Winter Beer Fest over in... Um, Magnuson? Yeah, that's right. And I got the beanie, which I was really excited about, and I got the shirt, and I still have the shirt, but I instantly lost the beanie. I don't know whose car I was in, but they drove away, and I never saw them again. Well, if you're at Winter Beer Fest, there's a lot of big beers there. Yeah. It's, it's easy to lose yeah, a beanie. Yeah. Who knows that where that hat yeah. went? That, that hat was probably flushed out of toilet. <laughs> you have enough uh, bee bombs from Fremont. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the real trick. I was at, oh, what was it? Yeah, I was at one of those Finney beer fests, one of the summer ones. This would have been last year. Hanging out with Sean, Dirty Couch, and um, and Fremont was over there pouring Rusty Nail. Yeah. And so the real trick was every time you weren't pouring beer for your booth, well, maybe I shouldn't put this on tape. I don't think this is allowed. <laughs> I wasn't actually officially there in a volunteering capacity. I just was casually standing behind the bar if someone had to use the restroom. But while I wasn't standing behind the booth, I was over there drinking Rusty Nails. And that's summertime. Yeah. In the heat. Oh, yeah. But you know what? <laughs> you don't pass up on an opportunity <laughs> right. to drink rusty nail. Just pair it with water. Yeah, pair it with water. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps water it down, and you'll still wind up right, with 7% yeah. beer. We do usually pour rusty nail during the summer from Fremont at most yeah. of our stores. Oh, yeah, you do? Yeah, and then uh, be bads and be bomb in the, in the winter. It's hard to pass those up. Those beers are... So I did an interview with the Fremont folks, uh, Sarah Nelson, and she was talking about how... She doesn't. She hates how breweries with barrel programs have limited, very limited releases. You just can never get enough of enough of these barrel beers, and so their maximum at Fremont was to just, if people are going to buy this, we need to make so much that everyone who wants it can have it, right. and we're not going to have anyone lining up to buy it. We're not going to have anyone buying it on the secondary market for forty dollars a bottle. 
come to us, buy from us for 15 or whatever they sell their bottles for, and they're going to have enough of it. And that is something that, like... That's a big just, investment. I, yeah, it was financially, I, right? If, I mean, and if you've been in there, um, the in West, their, yeah, yeah, it's like pure insanity. As far as the eye can see, oh, man, it's yeah. it's beautiful. That's though. what yeah. I love about Fremont is they they manage to like ride that line of big and cool, <laughs> you know? Because a lot of breweries, once they get big, they start sacrificing something, yeah. quality. Uh, ingenuity, something goes away, but they seem to be able to like toe that line really well. The fact that they do the barrel age program as well as they do the fresh hop program as well as they do, and then their, yeah, their fresh hop programs, it's incredible. And then their upcoming or burgeoning lager program, and they just their attention to detail. They don't they don't make a bad beer, and if they do, they dump it before it gets to the public. That is something that always blows my mind because most breweries, most serious breweries, do dump a, dump the occasional batch, rarely. And I just can't imagine, you know, fifteen barrels going on a drain. That's just brutal. It's, it's I gotta be to there the next about. time I do it because I got this. I got this joke. You know, I want to take a bath in beer. It doesn't need to be good beer, <laughs> but I just want to gather just a couple barrels just to make just a bath. A, yeah. Bucket list kind of just thing. Just to make an Instagram the, I mean, video, the photo you know, op like, would be amazing. Yeah, that's right? all. It's not just one hundred or two hundred likes. That's all. There's that. Uh, that the who did that baked beans bath promo do you remember you guys ever see that i don't remember that it's like keith moon in a bathtub full of baked beans and it was it was the promo for an album release but you could sort of mirror that just with beer yeah exactly i'll go look it up i'll i'll definitely do that you and keith moon you and keith moon him and beans me and beer (laughs) going back to that template conversation so uh, and barrel aged beers we so i think a lot of bars restaurants look at numbers and if some if a particular beer is not selling well they're like ah we shouldn't pour that we should take it off or whatever and i think that's a little um i get why people do that especially if you have a limited number of taps but we have 14 taps at most of our stores 12 dedicated beer two cider and if not all of those are going to sell like crazy unless you're just slamming on a monday night monday lunch every every week and so we dedicate one of our our taps to a barrel aged beer every season um and it's not a sour but a barrel aged usually a stout porter or something like that we're doing a barley wine a wine barrel aged barley wine from lucky envelope for our fall menus it's delicious it's crazy good yeah um and it's we're gonna move like 10 kegs for the whole like company-wide for the whole menu run and that's okay but it's cool it it rounds out the lineup and it's it's it really tells a lot of you know especially beer geeks that we we care about the program and that um we're trying to uh, appeal to all audiences, right? Um, have something for everybody, be creative while being accessible. So we try to establish that balance. I mean, we do a lot of things as a company, not cause it's easy, because it's hard, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, like for instance, we, we go through more are- fresh oregano than I think, I think we're the leading Washington consumer of fresh oregano um, as a company. All of our herbs are fresh. Yeah. yeah. And it's a pain in the ass to pick fresh oregano off the stem, right? Yeah. But it tastes better. Yeah. So it's the right thing to do. So we could throw on Bud Light and probably sell more if we replaced. Yeah, right. Or another IPA. Or another IPA. But it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. So It's got to be, yeah, mathematically it's got to work out. Because I know there are breweries out there and there's definitely bars out there that would sooner put 
six IPAs on tap and then leave a couple of other like a couple other taps open for what, everything else. But it, it, but yeah, like you, do you actually sell more beer subbing out a tap for something and putting IPA on? You don't, and we, we've experienced we've actually gone through that test, and yeah. so you can put. You're going to sell just as much IPA, whether you have four IPAs or eight IPAs. You're just going to sell that much more of those four IPAs. Right. It's going to be more spread out if you have the eight, right? Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's just kind of having a well-rounded lineup, right, as opposed to just looking directly at the sales numbers also, by I feel style. Like, you know, we all might be edging on IPA exhaustion at this point. Yeah, like, this as a culture. Yeah. As a I society. Mean, just... IPA after IPA after IPA. That's why those juicy like, IPAs are exactly very because popular. Pe- people were like, "Oh, an IPA that's not like didn't say anything like an IPA." Yeah, <laughs> you know, like gateway little, IPA. Yeah, a little yeah. variety is is nice. You know, right? I don't want to have the same beer every time. And also, yeah, staying ahead of trends is a big deal because, as you know, the in the in craft beer, there's. There's a new style and a new trend every every month, it seems like. Yeah, so I was going to say, if you're changing that. your menu quarterly, that means you catch every now and then you change your menu on a, on a trend, right? And you might wind up with a Brute IPA that stays in I was just gonna bring menu that up. for two yeah. months longer yeah, than they're yeah. trendy. We tried the Brute, and it was the best Brute I, I had tried, but it, it was not a smashing success. No. Yeah. I think it was... I read a book once about... Um, it was a book about starting your own nano brewery or whatever, like not even nano, but... I don't know, Pico Brewery, smallest brewery this guy could imagine. And the guy had just a, you know, was in Massachusetts and he'd written, a, he'd started this brewery as a tiny little rinky dink thing and he decided to write a book and sell it on Amazon as if he was the expert on it. And he talked about brewing a, a kvatch, which is like some Russian bread, fermented bread type drink, comes out at 2.5% alcohol, some silly thing. And he brewed this kvatch and all of his customers bought all of it and it sold out so fast and he was completely amazed he thought oh my god great he bought a new fermenter you know he sold all, all two six barrels of it <laughs> yeah 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 and uh he bought he went and bought a new fermenter he spent the next like four weeks brewing nothing but kvatch he goes man i sold I completely sold out of this and brewed it all and as soon as it came out nobody bought it anymore and he realized oh yeah everyone just bought the kvatch because it was this the like, new thing no, yeah, it was this novelty new thing, kind of thing and the novelty yeah. and as soon as they all tried it the moment it worn off, nobody ever needed a second one. Right. And I think that's the same thing with brewed IPAs and like well, a lot of the weird shit that comes yeah, out. Yeah. Th- that happened that that's like the <laughs> the secret thing about the brewing community is there's a lot of backslapping when something new happens. There's a lot of like false congratulations and the the things that last are the things that shake out eventually. And like, yeah. you know, like Anybody starts a new brewery, their initial enthusiasm is going to be big, relatively, and then if it sucks, it's going to tank, right? But yeah, we've talked about this, right? Like, there's a lot of new breweries that pop up where everybody's excited because it's a new brewery, but it's not really good. It's just new. That's Yeah, that's why we... Quality comes first before local for us, where, you know, um, I think the local beer economy is... Uh, revolutionary and amazing because keeping those dollars locally in the economy is a really cool thing for a lot of reasons but for us it has to be good beer um, above all else and so we're not exclusively local um, but we're also blessed with the best craft beer scene in the country in the Pacific Northwest so we're we're spoiled and lucky we have a lot of options our house beer is a Rubens beer yeah and it's a multi award-winning beer like 
Them's are bragging rights right there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, every time a new brewery opens, I usually give them six months to properly shake it out. Right. Just I mean, like a new restaurant, right? Yeah, anytime. Totally. Definitely. And there are certain breweries, I don't need to name any names, but I'm waiting an, an additional six months here. Thanks, Tommy and Josh. That is the first half of this conversation. We went on for quite some time. A couple more beers for sure. So if you want to hear the second half of that conversation, you'll have to head over to patreon.com slash cyclingcicerone because that is an exclusive part of the episode and it will be out next week. Thanks again to the folks over at Zeke's Pizza. I think I might go put an application in. Hey, are you a brewery that wants to be on a podcast? Shoot me an email, andrew at cyclingcicerone.com.